All right, so we're going to uh, uh, move forward here in our sermon series. Uh, we've been looking at this, this series has been called Living a Life of, of Spiritual Renewal. And last week, we talked about generosity in terms of our money and our resources. And so this is kind of like a part two of generosity, but we're going to be looking at time, being generous with your time as a practice of spiritual renewal in our lives. Um, I don't know of, of another more transformative or impactful practice that there is, uh, more powerful, more meaningful, more explosive on the mark that this can have in someone's life, a mark that can survive decades and influence and, and just transformative power over somebody's life. And that is simply being generous with your time as we're uh, giving that time to others. Jesus called his church to make disciples. Now, if you're uh, familiar with, you know, the church, you're kind of new to this whole Christianity thing, make disciples is like a Christianese kind of phrase. We don't often talk about making disciples in our world, in our, uh, you know, culture today. But we do have ideas of things like mentorship, of serving and caring for others through relationship. Right now, I want all of you to think about in your life um, of that someone who at some season in your life really just invested themselves into you. I'm not talking about, you know, the expensive, nice, you know, gift they bought you. I didn't, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that person who was with you when you needed them the most, that person who invested their wisdom into you that you can just spit out like their proverbial sayings like right now because they've always been in the forefront of your mind, that person who showed you love that just superseded all other loves that you received in this life and you're like, that, that changed me. That deeply impacted me because they were generous with their time towards me. When Jesus calls us, calls us to make disciples, that's where it begins because that's what he did when he walked this earth. Joseph Campbell, in his book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, shows how in every good adventure story, all right, everyone, whether it be Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, whatever, whatever you want, there's always a mentor figure, okay? Mentoring the hero of the story, right? Yoda, Gandalf, same person. I mean, same as that person. Indiana Jones, if you remember, you know, he had his father, right? They're usually this like wizard, hermit, wise, sage kind of person who uh, spent time with the hero to help shape them. And without them, that hero or heroine could not have done what they did in that story. Now we watch these movies and we read these books and we see those mentor figures and it strikes a nerve with us, right? Because we, we know that we... We need that person in our own life. And maybe that, that person in that story reminds you of, that, of, of who that was in your own life. This is a Jesus way. And we're going to look at this as a spiritual practice this morning. A practice that is, I firmly believe, is absolutely crucial in our following of Jesus. This church or any church simply has no healthy future if what we do as a church is not characterized by being generous with our time towards one another and also to our community. 
So the primary way we can understand, biblically speaking, the generosity of, our t- of, of time as it's given to others, as usual, we look to Jesus, but like we did last week, at this theme of being generous with time, we want to look to the incarnation. We spoke at length about this last week. That's another fancy Christian word. Um, it refers to God taking on flesh, the Christmas story. God became man. God didn't serve us from a distance. He didn't save us from a distance. But he entered into our story. He entered into our human existence by taking on flesh and bones just like we have. And he dwelt among us. John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. When we see Christians in the early church being generous with their time, we see Christians in a way living a life shaped by this incarnation. They enter into people's lives, these early Christians. They were there with others. We'll look at a specific example of that at the end of our time today from the early church. They weren't just writing letters from a distance to encourage people, but like Jesus, they were physically present, extremely generous with their time, as they served one another, loved one another, and also in their communities shared the good news of Jesus. People get to know you when you're physically present way more than any other. We'll never be able to, you know, create some technological, like we all know social media has not actually helped us get to know each other better. We know this. There's nothing like sharing a meal with somebody as we get to know them. When you're sitting with somebody, when you're sharing a meal, when they're over at your house, you know, f- helping you fix whatever might be broken, or, you know, like Jeff Powell, uh, Junior's at my house recently when I just screwed up my table saw and, like, he fixed it, right? And I learned that he's stronger than me. Like, obviously, because the problem was just, I'm a weakling. They get to know you, right? You learn their, their facial expressions. They learn your temperaments. They learn your abilities, like my tall, lanky self, right? That I'm weak. They learn your skills. They learn your sense of humor. All those kinds of things. They really get to know you when you're physically present with them. And it becomes unavoidable when you, uh, when you spend time with them. And Christianity really is the only religion that claims our God became a human being. But not just that. Like, he didn't just become a human being, but he suffered on our behalf. The transcendent one, he, he descended. And we got to know him because while he walked this earth, yes, he spent time with people, but even more so, he took our burdens on himself and paid the price for the burden of our own sin and he poured his life out for us. There is nothing more powerful in your life until someone actually bears one of your burdens with you or even for you. Because that is what's communicated. What is communicated in that act is an act of love that is greater than self. It's a love that says, I love you more than even my own life. I am willing to suffer with you and even for you. As Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. This becomes like a sort of frame of reference for us for how we may think about the generosity of our own time. We see Jesus constantly with others for three years, night and day with his disciples, always taking them aside to teaching them, you know, even serving them, washing their feet, even rebuking them when they were acting like idiots, right? Correcting them. 
We see him sitting at, at, at the well with a Samaritan woman who a Jewish male should never be found, uh, you know, caught dead, you know, with. There was Jesus talking with her for a great length of time. We see him with prostitutes, tax collectors, people most of, who most of society rejected and refused to spend time with. His disciples were not, you know, the elite of the time, but rather normal blue-collar fishermen, really thick leathery skin and dark from all the long hours spent in the sun. When he asked his disciples to go and to make more disciples, he was basically saying, go and tell them about me, teach them to obey all that I command you. This is Great Commission, Matthew 28. Basically, you know, saying, you know, with the example of how I was among you, how I lived among you, bring that to this world. Bring that to this world. And that's what the Spirit does as he, as he fills his people. We bring Jesus to this world. So I want to look at an instance from the book of Acts, from, from the Apostle Paul that kind of really represents this in a, in a powerful way. In this part of the story, um, in the book of Acts, he was saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus. He spent about two years there. He helped plant his church, and he spent two full years there, and he was um, saying goodbye, and he was leaving. And he was very close to these people, very close to the leaders of this church. And it was the leaders whom he was addressing here. And then we're going to see how Paul spent his time there. We're going to learn something about that and the motivations that undergirded his actions there. So we're not going to get in crazy detail here, but we're going to begin here in Acts chapter 20. It should be on the slides behind us, beginning in verse 13. This is, the, this is Luke writing as he was a companion of Paul. He says, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Essos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. We met him at Essos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios, and the day after that we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. One thing we see is that here in this text so far, Paul, he said, I was in your homes. I was in this house, I was in that house, and I was in this house, and I was in that house. He was up in people's business, you know? He wasn't just saying, come meet me in the public square and have a conversation. No, he was in their homes constantly from house to house to house. Now, there weren't stationed church buildings in these days. The homes did, you know, house these early churches, but Paul's presence was continually in house to house. Just put a mark on that. We're going to continue on. Verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus had given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So I'm going to pause here for a minute. There's a key component here. We look at being generous with our time and the motivations that kind of undergird it. It begins with how you understand your life and its value. Where does your life draw its value from? When you, when you perceive of that question, well, how much value does my life have? What's the source that you're drawing your definition from? You see, if you know Jesus and you meet him and he transforms your life, Jesus flips the value of your life inside out. Because we see that Paul's mindset towards himself changed when he met Jesus. And it was reoriented towards a whole new orbit that spun him into a very different life than he had before. It altered his view of his time and the future and how he spent it when he faced potential hardships and calamities. He said, it doesn't matter. None of this stuff is important for me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that God gave me, that Jesus asked me to do. I don't care if I suffer anymore because I know what he has asked me to do. For Paul, the value of his life was completely attached to his knowing Jesus and the calling he received from Jesus. That was his compass. That was his true north that guided him and directed him day by day. And so if I ask you that question, where does your value in your life come from? If, you, if I said, my life is valuable because blank, what would fill in the blank? Following Jesus is not something you only do, okay? It becomes who you are. It envelops all of you. It transforms how you think about this world, how you think about your life in this world, your actions in this world. Everything changes, and it transforms your vision for your time and how it is spent. The value of Paul's life became wrapped up in testifying to the gospel of grace. But that's not just something that Paul was given. This is for all of us who want to know, want to follow Jesus, to know what it means to follow Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, testifying to the good news, that's what the word gospel means, the good news is done, and it's not just done through verbal testifying. Testifying to the good news of Jesus is found through our words and our life. Those two things can never be disconnected. That's when true transformation happens is that the words that we're speaking about Jesus and the love that we know that he has given us begins informing how we live and others see the very love of Jesus in our lives as we tell them about the love of Jesus with our mouths. And yes, this has an impact on our time and how we spend our time and deeds become a way that we can discover what we value in life. If you want to do like a time audit, um, I asked the staff here some months ago to do that. Like, get a, get a week, your week. Do like a time audit. Not as like a religious thing of like casting shame in yourself. Like, you know, I watched way too many stupid videos on Instagram or something. I should be a little terrible about myself. Like, I'm not looking at that kind of thing. Just audit your time and just say like, where is it going? You know? What values are, are being represented through the use of your time? Because oftentimes, I think in our day and age, like we're such a distracted age. If we don't have an intentionality towards how we spend our time, there's so many things that will just consume it instantly, 
and you'll wake up from your like, you know, YouTube phase on the couch, like, was that an hour? Like, what just happened? Has that ever happened to anybody else before? Yeah, it has, right? If you don't think about these things, your time will be spent and called for in use. And you won't even like have so much control over it, right? All these devices and technology, they, they make their money off of your eyes and your attention. And so it manipulates our brains and hijacks our brains to get our eyes. And before you know it, our time is used up. And we're like, I don't even know what happened to, like, what happened this week? But as we look at following Jesus, we have to bring in intentionality. We have to look at Jesus and say, how, how can this inform how I live? So we're going to look at uh, some more verses here uh, as Paul describes this time. And let's see how it informed Paul's way of life among the church at Ephesus. He says in verse 25, he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today, then I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock by which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you. By this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul warned them night and day in tears even as he was concerned for their future as a church. These leaders would come in and he knew that they were already about in other churches and they would lead essentially for the purpose of their own selfish gain, okay? Purpose of kind of cashing in on this new Jesus, you know, movement that was happening in the Roman Empire. And he called them wolves. And he says, no, your job is to shepherd the church and, and he said, think about how I lived among you. I knew this was happening out there. And so I didn't take a penny from you. I wanted to show you the true nature of a leader, which isn't doing this for the money. Even though it was perfectly biblical, he even tells Timothy later, he says, the worker is worthy of his wages. Those who preach the gospel should make a living off of the gospel. It's nothing um, wrong with that. There's a fine line, as we all know, of, of, you know, church leaders and stuff just making your average, you know, salary of your average person versus having private jets and wearing Yeezys. You know what I mean? Like, there's a fine line there. But Paul even shows them in verse 32 to 35 how this impacted his work among them, right? He didn't ask them for money. There's a phrase I want to focus on that you could just kind of, you probably just read by and didn't even stop to think about it. It's this phrase here. He says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Paul's proximity in his work among them was so much so that Paul, as Luke recorded this speech, was so, he was so close that as he said this, I'm assuming he probably lifted up his hands and he said, you know these hands. You know these hands. I worked so hard among you 
I worked so hard to show you the true non-greedy heart of a teacher of the gospel. You know these hands. This is for their own benefit and growth in Christ, but the question I have for you is this. Do other people know what your hands look like? In our post-COVID Zoom world, we have an inconceivable amount of ways to connect to each other. Inconceivable amount of ways. All virtual, not physical, but the question which I truly believe represents the Jesus way of living, are there people in your life that know what your hands look like? Paul was generous with his time that he poured out for the sake of these Christians, and so he could say, you know what these hands look like. Many who followed Jesus knew what his hands looked like. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus was confronted by a leper. I want to look at this. Mark 1, 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. This man came to him, right? He fell down before him, begging for, to be healed by Jesus. Now, numerous times in Jesus' ministry, we see him healing people. And there's not a lot of consistent ways that he did so. There's a whole variety of ways by which this occurred. Um, in some cases, he healed people from a distance, like he could have been a mile away. And, just, and he said, they're healed, and they were instantly healed that very hour. And so Jesus, when this guy was on his knees before him, he could have looked down and just said, you know, if you wanted to heal him, he said, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll heal you. And just verbally spoke it. But look, look what he does. I want you to pay attention to this. Look what he does. Verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. A background note here that if you don't know this background, the story will lose his power. If he had leprosy in the first century, we don't know how long this guy had it. Could have been decades. Who, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know. But the standard kind of method here, if you had leprosy, was that if there's a crowd of people coming around you or towards you, you have to stand back and yell, unclean, very loudly, so people would know not to go near this person lest they catch their skin disease, lest they catch this leprosy, right? Stay away from me. Don't come near. Unclean, unclean. That was the standard practice. When was the last time somebody gave this guy a handshake, an embrace, even had a close face-to-face conversation. When is the last time? We don't know. When is the last time he shared a meal with somebody? We don't know. But what did Jesus do? He knew that this man didn't just need to be healed. He knew that he needed to be loved. Like he hasn't been loved in a long time, which is simply to lay a hand on his shoulder. It says he was moved with pity, and he reached out, and he touched this man. We don't have details, but I cannot imagine the warmth, the love, the feeling of love that was given upon this touch of Jesus. I can imagine the man's eyes as Jesus' hand went out. He was thinking, like, where's his hand? Like, what is he doing right now? Like, nobody's touched this man for who knows how long, and Jesus stretches out his hand. The guy's probably thinking, is he really going to lay his hand on my shoulder? And he gets a close-up view of Jesus' hand. And that one act of love, A simple hand stretched out was an act of love of Jesus. And this man got to know Jesus' hands because they served him and they loved him and they healed him. 
Now later on, the very hands of Jesus were also pierced for our salvation. It was his hands that were pierced through for the sake of our salvation and payment for our sins. Isaiah 49, look forward to this day. Isaiah 49, verse 16. Speaking to God's people, God said, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The heart of God expressed in these words as he spoke to his people who were living in the ancient city of Jerusalem. The spirit of the letter was found in Christ as him saying, your name is written on my hands. I've engraved it there. I have not forgot about you. and will not forget about you. In fact, my own hands were pierced for you. You know these hands. Because we know the hands of Jesus pierced for our transgressions, we are called to pour ourselves out for the sake of others. This should be a general just kind of characteristic of our life. Your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. You belong to God. Therefore, we take on the very nature of God. We learn to live like Jesus as he lived, and so therefore we serve others just as Jesus served us, so much that when people see your hands, they say, ah, I know those hands. They have served and loved and helped me so much. They remind me of the very hands of Jesus that was pierced even for our transgressions. They remind me of the love that was given to me from Jesus. Here's the point as we come to a close today. The healing touch of this world The healing touch this world desperately needs right now because it's becoming so uh, more alien to the way that we live in 2023. The healing touch of this world is Christ in you and you with people. We can't circumvent this, friends. The healing touch of this world is your time is you spending time with people because the Spirit of God, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you carry His Spirit where you go. So those who don't know Him get to experience Jesus and hear and experience Him through you. Nothing can circumvent that other than the simple, old-fashioned way of being with others. I love this verse. I, I, I quoted it earlier as we were praying for for um, the couple here going on a missions trip. This, this comes from 1 Thessalonians. Listen to this. It's such beautiful. Read the whole paragraph here. This is Paul writing to a church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But listen to these last two verses here. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us 
ready to share not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Friends, that's where true, genuine discipleship and change happens. So much of you and I are the product of the people who poured into us, and we know this, right? Think of the mothers or the fathers or the mentors or teachers exercise we did at the beginning of our sermon, right? I have my whole long list, my third grade teacher, Mr. Schuyler, right? I remember him, my, my junior high uh, 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 minister, uh, youth pastor, Neil Spradlin, and John Orr, my high school youth pastor. And so I could keep going on just a, a long rap sheet of all the men who poured themselves into me, right? They taught me all day long. I, I heard all their sermons. Yeah, but I, I remember the basketball games they took me to. I remember all the times they took me out for coffee or just spent time with me. And those are the things that transformed me as I was a young man. Yeah, there'll always be Billy Grahams out there who can preach to millions. There'll always be superstar, you know, leaders and, you know, all those people. Yeah, that's fine. But the world needs what you can offer if you're a follower of Jesus The world needs what you can offer, and it's simply Christ in you. Jesus simply loved others. He was generous with his time. And this is one of the most powerful spiritual practices. One more story as we close. Sociologist Rodney Stark, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, which described how Christianity rose in the early uh, Roman Empire. And, and, And there are, you know, early part of the first century in the Roman Empire, the first few centuries, how did this grow from just a handful of people to this massive worldwide movement, the known world at the time? How did that happen? There's a few important moments that really caused the church to just pop in growth. One of the most important moments, says Stark, and he was referencing, um, there's a handful of great pandemics that happened uh, in North Africa. There was those who, who when, they, when they got sick, the common practice was to kind of just abandon them because it would spread. This was a pretty rough pandemic that was going on. And so uh, if somebody stayed back and actually helped them, there was a better chance of their survival, but um, you would almost guarantee to be to catch what they had. And so the normal practice had been when a family member gets sick, they leave. They leave the town, leave the community, and the sick are left behind. So people were leaving the cities, but one group of people were not. This is what Rodney Stark says. It was the Christians that stayed back, that cared for their own family members, and also cared for those who were left behind by their family members. Stark points out that the willingness to suffer in order to care for the sick had one of the most important roles to play as the church grew in massive numbers in the Roman Empire uh, so many turning to Christ because they bore the burden of their community in the name of Jesus. And many, many turned to Christ because of it. Because, friends, there's no greater love. I want this to be true of our church. Amen? Some questions on the back end of our time. Who are you mentoring right now? Do you have a few hours of your week to give to somebody else? When I say that, just, I mean, open up your table. Have dinner with somebody, right? Go get a cup of coffee somewhere with them. A couple hours a week. Is that a normal practice in your life with either somebody who knows Jesus or maybe a neighbor who does not? Is that a normal practice in your life? Parents, especially dads and grandfathers, there are people in your life right now 
who desperately need you. And it's the children. If there's anybody that's in desperate need of mentors, it's the kids in our culture today. Grandfathers, grandmothers, parents, don't neglect the mentorship and discipleship of your children. Because that will transform and impact them in a way nobody else can do. They need you. They need your time. And Christians, get to know your neighbors. This summer is a perfect opportunity. Open up the grill. Invite people into your home. Share the gospel of grace with them. Serve them. Love them. Open up your life to them just as Jesus opened up his life to us. May they get to know your hands. Jesus, we we are so thankful for you, Lord, that you took on flesh and you bore the burden of our sin. Lord, may our lives just emulate this, Lord. May we learn to be sacrificial and generous with our time just as you were with us, Lord. May we be known as the church who were just willing to get our hands dirty just like you did, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you just empower us for this, Lord. Empower us for this kind of life, Lord. That you may grow this church in a healthy way, not because of great sermons or great music, but Lord, because people here are just investing themselves into others and the love of Christ is just showing through their lives and people want to be a part of this church because the people here are just living this Jesus way, Lord, and all their faults and imperfections. So Lord, would you, would you equip us for this, Lord? We love you so much, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.